Good morning. Welcome to Grace Harvest Baptist Church. Uh, church looks empty compared to the 8 o'clock service, but I'm glad you guys are here. It reminds me of, of um, a story, uh, not a story, a true thing. You know, in, in, on days like this, you're always concerned that people will stay away from God's house because it's raining. And I'll always remind you, and I want to thank you all for being here in person that, that, uh, you, who could come. But uh, one of the things that uh, story that always spoke to me was when uh, um, our brother in Christ, David Listrom, was an elder here. And he was a, uh, a missionary in Uganda for 20 years. The first time he went to preach in Uganda, he was preaching under a mango tree and went out to a village out there. And there was nobody there. It had been raining. It had been monsoon. And nobody was here. And uh, it was getting ready time to preach. And he was concerned that nobody would come. And out of the rain, he started, these villagers started coming. And uh, some had walked over an hour to hear God's word proclaimed. Tumbling when you think about how many times you and I have laid in the bed and rolled over and felt like not coming to church because I got something better to do or I had a rough night. When you think about our brothers and sisters around the world who don't get to hear the word of God proclaimed and they're so eager to hear it. Shame on us when we don't have that same enthusiasm. Remember that one day we will stand. Today we are preaching on the judgment seat of Christ. And one day you as a believer, you who claim to be a believer, will stand before him. And uh, we will give, be given rewards for what we have done in his favor and for him. You know, uh, I'm reminded that there's only one opinion that matters, and that's his. There's a story about, that goes about, about uh, Babe Ruth. And when he was uh, uh, up, to, up to the plate to bat one time, an umpire uh, called ba uh, Babe Ruth out on strikes. And the crowd was booing, and there was some, it was a home crowd. And there were some 40,000 people there cheering on the Yankees. And uh, who Babe Ruth turns around, looks at the umpire, and says, You know, there's 40,000 people out there that think that you just called a ball a strike. And so everybody was expecting Babe Ruth to, to get uh, thrown out of the game. So the coaches are there, the players are there getting waiting for Babe Ruth to get thrown out of the game for that. But the umpire just looked at him and said, Maybe so, Babe, but. Mine is the only opinion that matters. When you think about that, when we think about God and what we think is, is matter, it's going to be Him and Him alone that decides the gifts that are given to us. But before I get there, I wanted to just mention, you know, we just sang 10,000 reasons. And in a chorus in that verse, uh, on that day when my strength is failing, you know, I've, I have, and I count this a privilege, as a pastor, to witness believers getting ready to go home and be with the Lord. And our church has had its share of folks that have gone home to be with the Lord in the just past couple of years. We lost Brother Chuck, and I was there when the worship team was there singing hymns, and, and he was, his hand moving up and down. And I was there on that last day, and and I remember just thinking of the family and friends as Rachel was by his bed and, and how Chuck loved the Lord so much. And Larry Rutten, who just came to saving faith in Christ in, 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 in a uh, hospital bedroom, a hospital room in intensive care. And how I baptized him there because we didn't know if he would come out of that room. 
And he came to saving faith. And he faced his maker at the end with joy upon his lips. And we had Chip Peck who was here also. And, and he was the man who would be praying for you while he was dying of cancer. And yet had a joy in his heart. And Luther, just a couple of weeks ago, sat in his room the day before he died, sitting up in a chair at that room in Farmville, in that hospital room, and still praising God. That doesn't come from just any source other than the Holy Spirit that resides in us as believers. And folks, we need to know that we have that assurance of that hope and salvation that, that I preached on last week when we talked about the rapture of the church. And this week, as we, as we get to the judgment seat of Christ, and turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I'll be reading from one verse today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. But before I get there, I wanted to share that Winston Churchill, just like Luther, planned his funeral out. And before he died, his wishes called for a, a bugler positioned high in the dome at St. Paul's to play taps after the benediction. So after it was all over, he wanted taps to be played. You in the military type, you know what that's it. If you've ever been to a, a veteran's funeral, you will hear taps played. When my father was buried in Arlington Cemetery, uh, they, they, he had a band because he was a colonel and so... With, with rank comes its privileges, and he had a whole company out there with him and did the whole 21-gun salutes. And I remember how humbling it was to listen to taps. And so he had these taps played. But it was amazing that right after the taps was played, there was a dramatic turn within the church. As soon as the taps finished, another bugler placed on the other side of the great dome played the notes of Reveille. It's time... To get up, it's time to get up, it's time to get up in the morning. Every military man knows what I'm talking about, military lady knows what I'm talking about here. They, they, they played that. And uh, it's a good reminder, what Winston Churchill was saying is that this life may be done, but it's time to wake up for the next. And all of us will depart from this world, which we are just passing through, to serve God for eternity. And so when we serve God for eternity, we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing? And what is this all about? So if you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians, the LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And Father, your people gather here in this place this day. We've come at this hour to worship you, Lord. I pray that we set every thought of what happens later in this day aside, that we focus on your word that's proclaimed. We have come and we have worshipped you this morning, Father, in our fellowship, in our Sunday school hour. We have worshipped you with our first fruits. We have worshipped you as we've lifted up our voices on high to you, Lord. And I pray that it has been honoring and pleasing to you. And now, Father, in the time that we have remaining, as your truth is, is, is proclaimed this morning, Father, I pray it's an encouragement to your people 
I pray, Father, that it also brings correction to your people. And most of all, Father, I pray that it brings you glory. In the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So if you are a Christian here today, remember these, these, these should uh, encourage you, sermons today. If you're not a Christian today, this should cause you great fear, interpretation. You see, the, 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 when we come to the Word of God, and the whole reason I'm doing this whole series on the end times is to bring encouragement to those who believe in Christ. If you're outside of the family of God, this is nothing but dread and gloom to you. And you may laugh and joke and say this is not real, but, but I'm here to tell you that, that I would not be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would not commit my life to shepherding people. I would not commit myself to being used by God if I didn't believe every word that Scripture has to say. And it is that reason that I stand here before you today to proclaim God's truth to you. If you have been a believer for a while, if you have read about rewards for Christians for what they have done for the Lord during your life as a believer, then you have, you have some expectation of what the judgment seat of Christ is. It, I will tell you that it, this judgment seat of Christ today, we're going to answer some very important questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you that this doctrine is often ignored or when taught, it is misrepresented because of the term judgment that we see clearly here. And I want you to understand as we go through this that I want you as a believer to understand the hope and the joy that you will receive at the judgment seat of Christ. I want to quote from Samuel Hoyt here as he writes about this passage. Within the church, quote, within the church today, there exists considerable confusion and debate regarding the exact nature of the examination at the judgment seat of Christ. The expression, the judgment seat of Christ, in the English Bible has tended to cause some to draw the wrong conclusion about the nature and purpose of this evaluation. A common misconception which arises from the English translation is that God will met out a just retribution for sins in the believer's life and some measure of retribution punishment for sins will result, unquote. And some of you may be sitting here today thinking that when you go before the judgment seat of Christ that God is going to give you punishment for things that you did not do or that you did do. So today we will answer five questions about the Bema seat of Christ or the judgment seat of Christ. What is this judgment seat? What is this Bema seat? When does it take place? Who is the judge? Why does it happen? And what are the rewards? So let's look at what is the Bema Seat of Christ. We see it here in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, but we also see it in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So Paul lets the church in Corinth know, lets the church in Rome know, and by that the Holy Spirit lets us know that we will stand before the judgment seat of God. If you are a Christian, you will stand before Jesus Christ himself. Judgment seat is a translation of one Greek word, the word bima. Now, many of you have heard and, and, and understand that while we think of the bima that's used in the Gospels in the book of Acts, 
of a raised platform where a Roman magistrate or ruler such as Pilate sat to make decisions and pass sentence. We know that from Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, where Pilate made his his uh, decision to crucify Christ at that Bema seat. It's used in the epistles by Paul because of his many allusions to the Greek athletic contest is more in keeping with its original use among the Greeks. So we do understand that the Bema seat is a place of judgment, but it's also, when the Greeks looked at it, as a place of reward. We, don't, we can't miss that. And the word was taken from the Ishman games where, where the contestants would compete for a prize under the careful scrutiny of judges who would make sure that every rule or contest was obeyed. Today, some of you will, will sit around a TV set tonight and watch the um, Super Bowl. And uh, when you watch it, you'll see that there'll be penalties called against each team. There's a bunch of, uh, uh, of officials out there to make sure that, that the, the men don't cheat. And they play fairly. They're not gouging each other's eyes out. And they're not, and they're not tackling the way they shouldn't be tackling. And they're not roughing the quarterback. So they're, they're there to, rules, to follow the rules. These judges are there. And so the same thing happened in the Greek games. There were people there to make sure that the victor was given, uh, who won the event, followed the rules, and he didn't cheat. And at that point, there was a laurel wreath that was placed on the head of the contestant who won. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 has to say about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now I want you to understand something. Paul doesn't want your kid to get a tro- participation trophy. It's not about participation. It's about Running, I, I, Kathy, on the way home yesterday, uh, we uh, we went to an event yesterday. Got to see one of my grandchildren swim, and she was competing to win. She wasn't competing just to win a, a ribbon or a trophy. And on the board, they actually put their names. What place? Oh my goodness, they actually did that. They embarrassed kids by saying they weren't first. That's what we've come to, right? But they listed the names of, of how they finished the race. I don't know, how, how cool is that? I, I love it, the fact that, that you can see that you, my granddaughter finished six, and I think it's great because then she can see how she needs to improve. And you just say, well done, it's well done, but you need to try harder, right? There's so much competitiveness in your pastor, and I can't get rid of it. I'm watching this race with these little six-year-old girls. I guess she's a little older than that. How old is she, seven? Seven. And she's swimming, and they look so cute, and they're in there, and I see her team's winning third place. Her, her, her relay. And, and my son said, you're paying attention to the other ones? Yeah, yeah, it's a race. And as she's finished and, and, I, and, the, and the third swimmer had given their team a lead, she was in a lead third by at least a full stride, and the girl gave up right to end. And the next girl didn't, and she won. I went, man, they went third place. You see, it's good to be competitive. It's good to desire to do your best, Right? And we should be striving for that. It's amazing to me how God, God instructs us, even in the little things of life, run a race so that you win the prize, Christian. And 
For us, it's much more important than that. We ought to be running the race. We ought to be doing things that God has to say. It's amazing the lessons that are out there. We go home, Maddie's with us, and we're driving by, and, and we, we're coming out. Um, I hadn't been to Regency for those home folks here have been here for a long time, Regency, when I was a kid back in the 70s, that was the mall you went to. I mean, that was it. I mean, they had a movie theater over there. That was the, that was the, now you don't even recognize the place. they got a swimming pool on the bottom floor that's Olympic size. It's crazy, and we're getting out of there. As we're getting out of there, uh, we come up on this man. He's got his three kids um, uh, on, the, on the side of the road, and he's got a sign saying, Hungry, please give me money. He's got his wife laying on the curb, and, and his kids running. And he's running up and down. He's running out in traffic. I said, Matt, you know what the Bible has to say about this guy? And she goes, no, Papa, what? And I said, he's worse than an infidel if he's a believer because he's not taking care of his family. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. You see, we've getting this all messed up around here on how, how we should be doing things in our world. Yes, we help our own. I even said to Manny, I said, there won't be a widow in our church that goes without a roof over her head or food on her plate. Because it's the church's responsibility to make sure that our widows are taken care of and our orphans are taken care of. But I tell you what, if a man comes in my office and says, Pastor, we need help. And I'll say, okay, tell me what's going on. We help them. Next time he comes in, he says, we need some more help. He has to sit down with Pastor Cal and we go over his finances and his books. Because if we're going to keep giving your money that you faithfully give to somebody, we want to make sure they're doing okay. But do you know how many times I've looked at a man in the eyes and said, you need to get another job? They look at me and go, what do you mean, Pastor, another job? I work one. I work 40 hours a week. And I look at, and, and then I really feel like a dinosaur because I look across the, t- the desk at him and I said, do you realize for 27 out of 29 years I work 20 to 30 hours overtime every week? Well, I won't have time to spend with my family. Your number one responsibility, husband, is to provide for your family. It's the number one responsibility. It's amazing how we have gotten to this place in the world that we don't think we should run to win a race, that we don't think we should be obedient to God's Word because the world says differently. You see, Paul here was picturing the believer as a competitor in a spiritual contest, but he's using the earthly description. As the victorious Grecian athlete appeared before the Bema to receive this perishable award, so the Christian will appear before Christ's Bema to receive his imperishable award. Just as the, the mortal would put on immortality, the rewards that we are given are not perishable as the world gives. The judge at the Bema bestowed rewards to the victors. He did not whip them. He did not, uh, the one who did not win... He did not whip the one who did not win. He did not, he did not punish the one who did not win. But the one who ran the race and won the prize got the prize. He didn't just give it to the next person. So we need to understand this is a time that we are given rewards at the Bema Seat and we will lose rewards following it being examined by God. But it's not a time of punishment for a believer as your sin has already been judged by God. Let me make that clear again. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you will never stand in judgment over your sin. Even if you died while committing that sin. You won't stand in judgment over that sin. See, this would be inconsistent with the finished work of Christ on the cross because He totally paid the penalty for our sins. Lewis Chafer, first president of Dallas Theological Seminary, said this about the Bema Seat. 
quote, with references to sin, Scripture teaches that the child of God under grace shall not come into judgment in his standing before God. And on the ground that the penalty of all sin, past, present, and future, has been borne by Christ as the perfect substitute, the believer is not only placed beyond condemnation, but being, a, being in Christ is accepted into the, in the perfection of Christ and loved of God as Christ is loved. End quote. When you die and you go into the presence of the Lord, to be absent from body is to be present with the Lord, you are looked as, as co-heir with Christ by God. He's not going to judge you for yourself. Why not, Pastor? Well, let me speak to those who don't know Christ here this morning. You're here. You don't know Christ. You're listening online. You don't know who is this Jesus guy. Why does this preacher get so excited about talking about Jesus all the time? Why is his life so enwrapped in Jesus? Why does he preach so long? You know, matter of fact, we had somebody, one of the deacons said this morning, he was talking to another deacon in the, in the prayer time this morning. He said, we had somebody visit for a while, but he told me the preacher was too long-winded. It's amazing to me how that same person would probably sit for a movie theater for two and a half hours and think he got his money's worth. Or I would imagine tonight if he's watching the Super Bowl and it goes to overtime, he's not going, man, I can't believe this is going into overtime. Isn't it amazing how the things that we love, we don't mind spending time with, but the things that bore us or we don't have an interest in, we will forgo. But we need to understand that you here today who don't know Christ as Savior, you will be judged. You will be judged. What do you mean, preacher? Well, God judges all sin. And the one here who does not know Christ, when they die, will go to the holding place for all those without Christ. And they will wait their final resurrection at the end of time. And they'll be raised up and they'll go before the judgment seat of God, the white, great white throne judgment of God, where Jesus Christ will stand and judge the living and the dead. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, you will stand there and you will stand before God and you will be found guilty for the sin that you committed against Him. And you will receive justice and you will be sent to hell forever. That's not something just to take lightly. There's an 18-year-old young lady that left wherever she left on Sunday morning. Died at the beginning of the week last week. They did her funeral service yesterday. Do you think that 18-year-old girl thought that she would not see the next Sunday come? You hear this preacher say it all the time, and I'm not the first preacher who's ever said it. You are not promised tomorrow. Right now you've been given this day, this hour, this moment. And if you don't know Christ as Savior and you were to die without Him, you would spend eternity apart from Him in hell. And you would receive justice. You can't shake your fist at God and say that that's not fair. Because all of us deserve death. We who've received Christ have received mercy. And that mercy is here for you this morning. That mercy is here so that you can appear before the judgment seat of Christ and not before the great white throne judgment. And God says, I sent my Son who knew no sin to be born of a virgin, a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes. The shepherds, the lowly shepherds came and witnessed the birth of our Messiah. And then that Messiah grew and he preached for three years. He preached to the Jews who rejected him and he preached to the Gentiles. And then he was accused of blasphemy and he was accused by the high priest and all those that did not know God. And he was brought before Pilate, and Pilate condemned him. A righteous man condemned. 
And Jesus willingly went to the cross. They nailed him to a tree, hung him naked on a tree. He cru they crucified the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who gives us life. And while he was on that tree, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was crying out to God because at that moment of time, that punishment, that justice that you and I deserve was given to the Son. The wrath, the anger that God has against your and my sin was poured out on His Son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time, eternity past, present, or future, God the Father and God the Son, the fellowship was broken at that moment because God the Father could not take sin on. That's why Jesus was 100% man, 100% man, God. He was the God-man who had to be the perfect sacrifice, who could not sin, and yet man to be able to take that punishment and die. And it's not over because when he died and he rose from the dead on the third day and sits at the right hand of the Father, all of us who believe that and have confessed that, you today who are Christian and you're hearing the gospel and you're saying, yes, 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 you know, because you know, because you know, because you know that the Holy Spirit inside of you just reveals to you that you are a co-heir of Christ, a son or a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that, my friend, is what I beg you and beseech you, if you don't know Christ this day, there will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning. And so now, for us who are Christians, we walk into this Bema seat. Everyone who is a Christian will receive rewards from our Savior. We will see Him face to face. Revelation 22.12 says, Look, I am coming soon. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. You see, this is this is this should be bring you so much joy, and this should this should be such full of awesome wonder that our God would say to each one of us, "I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work." But it also should give us caution. What's he talking about here? What, what, what work is he talking about? But before we get that, let's talk about the place. When does this take place? When does this take place? When does the judgment seat of Christ take place? We don't have a direct statement in the New Testament on the timing of the event. But we, we are not left completely in the dark here. And I'll walk you through that. We know for, from 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 14, that the Lord must come for His church before we can stand before Him. This is why the Lord testified in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to His work. So based on this, we can safely conclude that the judgment seat of Christ will take place after the rapture of the church, which we talked about last week. Let me stop here again for a pause and... And remind people, this, I usually, when I preach, it's expositionally through a book of the Bible. As we are in this end time series, I am going chronologically through the events of the end time. So that's why we are right now at place with, we did the rapture of the church, the next event is the judgment seat of Christ, and next week we'll begin on the tribulation. And so today, as we deal with this, the rapture of the church and the, and the uh, judgment seat of Christ, we need to understand 
that Revelation 19.8 gives us another piece of the puzzle of when we can say this occurs. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, the church will, Revelation 19.8, be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Okay, so when the bride returns with Christ at His second coming, and we'll go into that in a lot more detail further down the road in the weeks to come. When we return with Christ, uh, we will come with Him at His second coming. And so putting these pieces together, we can safely determine that the judgment seat of Christ will take place after the rapture of the church and before the second coming of Christ at the end of tribulation. So I believe that when the church is raptured up, then the saints, all of us, all New Testament saints, will be at the judgment seat of Christ. Now who is this judge? We won't spend time there. We don't need to. It's very quickly answered. In John chapter 5.22, For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. John chapter 5 verse 22. And by the way, let me say something here real quick. I appreciate uh, this church family. Because I said in the first service, John 5.12. And while I was in there between Sunday school hours, a Berean from the Berean class texted me and said, Pastor, I think you meant to say 5.22. Glory! Isn't that awesome? And, and she came up to me, I, I, I felt bad about correcting you. Please, don't ever feel about correcting me. I'm a mere man and I will make mistakes. But I am so thankful that we have a church body, first of all, that listens to what I say on Sunday mornings and writes down their notes. But it is 522. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. So Jesus is the judge. He is the one that paid the price. He is the one that suffered the wrath of God. So therefore, He is the one that judges the living and the dead. He judges believers and He will judge unbelievers as well. Why does this happen is the next question we will answer. Some people view the judgment seat as a place of intense sorrow, a place of terror, and a place where Christ displays all the believer's sins before the entire resurrected and raptured church. I remember when I first heard about this. I was saved in an independent uh, Baptist church, King James only. Kathy had to wear a dress. I had to wear a coat and tie. She wasn't allowed to wear too much makeup. It was all these rules and regulations going on. And I remember hearing this about the judgment seat of Christ and all that I kept thinking was back then. Now, we didn't have videos. We didn't even have DVD players and VHRs or anything like that. We had reel-to-reel film. So all I imagined when that was happening is God's got this big projector like I'm at the movie theater. He's got the screen in the movie house and... And it's going through. Okay, never mind. And and the screen is projected, and there all everything I've ever done, I ever said, is displayed in front of y'all. And I remember really fretting about that. And someone said that, don't worry about that, Mark, because even if that's true, you know what everybody else is doing? They're they're waiting for their turn, and their heads are down. They ain't looking at you. But that's not what this is, okay, Christian. I don't want you to think when you go to the judgment seat of Christ that you have to be fearful. There's no need to be fearful. There's no need to worry about a purgatory. Oh, Lordy. When I was young, growing up in Roman Catholicism, the cult taught me that if if I didn't confess my sins to a priest, that every sin that I ever committed would be, I would pay for that sin and I would be tortured for that sin. Tortured. 
Can you imagine being, I was in a parochial school, a Catholic school, where the nuns were dressed in, you know, the things and, and had little rulers in their hands. And I don't know how many times my knuckles got smacked. But I can remember them telling me all the time, you're going to spend more days in purgatory. You're going to spend more months in purgatory. And I'm thinking to myself, back then I was like, holy smoke, this lady's got a lot of power. She's putting me in a place where I can suffer and, and be tortured. And you can imagine where a little kid's brain goes when you think about being tortured, right? And, I thought, and, and here's the sad part about it. Do you know that 98% of Roman Catholics in America don't even believe in confession? But the Catholic Church teaches that if you don't go to confession, confession, all those sins must be paid for in purgatory. What a sad, sad thing to tell your people. That the God of all mercy and grace, when he said it is finished, is not finished. Makes God a liar. And so we don't have to worry about purgatory. You know, that's what Martin Luther was, what got him all upset at first was indulgences. What they would do is Rome needed to pay for a cathedral. You know how they did it? Well, it's real simple. They went into these villages all around Europe and they had a little piece of paper. You give me, I tell you what, peasant Mark, you give me a gold coin. And we'll give you this little piece of paper here that says your Uncle Joe has just now been given 100 years off his purgatory sentence. Here you go. How many people do you think caught up in that superstition gave all the money they had to the church? There's a special place in hell for those folks. I believe with all my heart that it would deceive God's people. And God does not demand that we pay the church money in order to get favor in heaven. God has given that to us freely without any strings attached. So we need to understand that there is no purgatory but other people say that's, that that's what's going to happen, that, there's, that when we go to be judged for every sin we don't confess, even if you're not a Catholic, you believe that I'm going to be, uh, have to confess my sins, and that is not the case. Christian, your sins, even unconfessed sins, do not affect your salvation and your standing with God. Confession is for fellowship and not for forgiveness. You've heard me say this before, but it... it, it it deems repeating, and that is a no father or mother will disown their child because they've done something wrong. They're not going to say because the son took the car out when they weren't supposed to or did something that they weren't supposed to that, that you're not going to, that, 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 that when they come and ask for forgiveness, that you're going to say, oh, no, 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 not forgiven, I hate you now. It doesn't happen that way. But until that point where they ask for forgiveness, there's a break in the fellowship and, and they just can't come in. They, took, they did something you didn't want them to do and they say, Hey, Dad, uh, I need, need 100 bucks. Can you give it to me? Are you going to give them the money? I hope not. But when, we, when a child confesses their sin, even as a youngster or an adult, what is the relationship is restored almost immediately by the father or the mother, right? That's the same thing with God. What your sin does is affects the relationship with our father. In heaven, my dad was not a believer. He was a good man, taught me how to be a man. I remember the first time I ever heard it, you'd never hit a woman. This was back in the 60s as I'm growing up. He said, you'd never put your hands on a woman. I don't care. He, I don't care. Even when I, my, my mom, who was Italian, would try to beat the crap out of my dad. You know, that's just the way she was. But my dad would never put his, my hand on my mother, and I never saw him raise my, his hand to my mother. And, 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 but I was always told that way. And I was brought that way. And you've got to remember, in the 70s, when I was a police officer in the city of Richmond, you had guys that thought domestic abuse was okay. Matter of fact, I remember going on a call one time with, a, with an old-timer, 
And I'm getting ready to do everything they told us to do because, you know, we were the, we were the new, new centurions coming out. They were trying to change, you know, you don't shoot warning shots. You, you arrest the abuser. And, you, and these old guys were going, we're getting out of here. The woman have a black eye. That's between them. That's the way people used to think. It's hard to believe that. People used to think that way. And my dad, who taught me how to be a man, didn't know Christ. He died at 95 years of age without knowing Christ. He will not stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which breaks my heart and makes me have a desire to preach Christ and Him crucified to everybody every time I have breath to do it. People say, why does that preacher preach the gospel every week I'm here? Because I never know when God brought somebody here today just to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we as believers, we need to hear it. We need to be reminded what we're saved from. And I tell you what, that relationship I had with my dad growing up in that house, I knew that when I was wrong, he would punish me. But the minute that I said I was sorry, the relationship was restored. How much more so does God restore our relationships with him when we confess our sins to him? And we need to be doing that constantly. See, I want you to understand something, Christian. Memorize Romans 8.1 if you haven't already. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Do you understand what that means? That means you are not guilty. That means that Jesus paid the price. That means I never will stand before God and He say, but you committed that sin, Mark, and you committed that sin, Mark, and you committed that sin, Mark, and you need to pay for that. Never once will I hear those words or will you or any other believer hear those words. Romans 8.29 Because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Glory. Do you understand that He is telling you right there in, the, in that passage to Romans, to the Roman church, and therefore to all of us, that He has justified us, therefore He has glorified us. We belong to Him. Never will you stand in judgment over your sin. You, when you were saved, your sins were forgiven and are forgiven. When you confess them, you merely maintain the pure fellowship with the Father. We all sin. Every one of us sins, whether it's the sin of pride, the sin of lust, the sin of whatever sin, whatever you think about, gossip, whatever you think about, stealing, Whatever sin comes to mind, we will still do that. It doesn't mean we're not a believer, but what, it, what we should be going on when you realize that you've done it and the Holy Spirit convicts you of that is confess it to the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. Unconfessed sin is an issue of fellowship, just like it's an issue of fellowship amongst believers. But at the other end of the spectrum, other views, this event is just an award ceremony. Everybody gets a trophy. So I don't have to worry about doing anything. Awards are going to be handed out like candy to every Christian that that ever lived. But both these views are wrong. The one of ultimate terror that you're going to face the Lord and that, that all your sins are going to be exposed and you have to pay for those sins or the view that I'm just going to go there and God's just going to be glad that I'm here. We need to understand... What, what does Scripture has to say about this? There is a seriousness to this of the examination and an emphasis on the commendation aspect of the judgment seat. It's important to understand the necessity of faithful living today but reject any thought of punishment. Well, Pastor, if there's no thought of punishment, why should I live today? Because you love Jesus. Why should I live for Him? Because I love Him. 
When I loved my dad and my mom, I obeyed them. It showed that I loved them. When you obey your parents, you're showing that you love them. When we obey God, we're saying we love them. You want to know how you're a believer, Christian? Answer the question. Do you obey His commands? Do you flip your nose at God? Do you, do you, do you, do you say, hey, Jesus, uh, I've made that prayer, confess, I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. Or really, I've confessed you as Savior. I don't want to make you Lord. I'm not bending the knee to you. I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and however I want. You're going to just save me. Folks, that's, 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 that's a gospel straight from the pits of hell. When God called you, He called you to, to love Him with all your heart, mind, and soul. You made Him Lord and Savior. I remember being back years ago, and, a, and when I brought up John MacArthur, a pastor's wife said, Oh, he, he's a heretic. I said, Why is John MacArthur a heretic? He preaches that Lordship salvation. Guess what? There is no other thing than Lordship salvation in the sense that God has said to you, You will confess your sins, and I will be Lord of your life. It's not, it, don't get, it's not an act, uh, you know, something that you do. Once you get saved, this is what you say. I bend the knee. You are my king. You are my Lord. And if I don't do that, what do I do? Think about it. If you don't make Jesus Lord, who's Lord of your life? You are. You are. And so this means nothing to you. So you can do what you want. You can come and do as you please. You want to get drunk? You go get drunk. You want to have sex outside of marriage? You go have sex outside of marriage. You want to be a homosexual, a transvestite, do whatever you want? Do it because what does it matter? I don't answer to God. I answer to self. But folks, that's again a lie from the pits of hell. God did not save you to keep you in chains. Romans 6, what shall I say then? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. You have been set free, Christian. You were slaves to sin. God, you, you were walking around with a chain. Oh, goodness, he got out in front of the pulpit. Let me get back here. He had chains. i got to worry about the TV. You got chains on you. You, you ever seen those chain gangs walking around and they got chains on their feet and they're moving? That's what you had. You didn't realize it. And then God set you free. He set you free from the, sin, the chains of sin and death. And, and what he did was he made you a slave, he did, to righteousness. But we are free in the slavery to Christ, and we were chained in what we thought was freedom and sin. You see the difference? And, and so if I don't live for Christ, if He's not Lord of my life, then I am Lord of my life. And I do what, what is good in the eyes of man and not in the eyes of God. And so Christ has made us His, and we are His, His children, and we belong to Him. We are co-heirs with Christ, children of God. And, and all of this that we do is because we love Him. And so on that day of judgment, when, when God judges us for what we have done, the flesh will regard it as worthless, everything we did in the flesh of reward. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will graciously be rewarded. What we do for the sake of God, without, without any looking for reward from it, we will receive from God our just reward. So I don't want, again, again, and again, it is not a place of punishment. Every Christian will stand glorified before Christ without our old sin nature. I want you to think about that, dwell on that, meditate on that. How many times have I heard Christians say, I can't wait till I see Jesus? I can't wait to see Jesus. I can't wait to thank my Lord. Now you think there's going to be time of fear when you see Jesus? Of course not. He is the one who saved us, the one that loves us, and so we will love Him and adore Him. This will not be a time of fear or anguish. That time is now for us to contemplate, what am I doing for Christ? 
You will be without guilt when you're there. There's no sin nature. You're not going to feel guilty standing before Christ as He gives you what you deserve and doesn't give you what you don't deserve. There's there's not going to be any jealousy, remorse, regret because your sin nature is gone. There will be no need for punishment there for Christ bore all of God's wrath towards your sin. Be warned though, Christian, even though we will not be judged in the sense of punishment before, uh, before God and before Christ and for our sin at the Bema scene, since the Lord has borne that for us, we must not, never, never, ever, and I will say the word never, take sin lightly. Because there are consequences for our sin. There are consequences. No, you, you will not stand in judgment of your sin, but it ruins the fellowship. All you got to do is crack your Bible up in the Old Testament and look at the woe that befalls people who disobeyed God and still loved Him. David, a man after his own heart. What a miserable life David led that he didn't have to lead if he had been obedient to God. Do not take your sin lightly. Quickly for, for, uh, confess it unto the Lord. But there is a loss of rewards at the Bema Seat in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will indicate it because it is revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on, on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. This is where the Catholics, the Roman Catholic Church, gets their purgatory doctrine from. They, they, they butcher the hermeneutics here. And as I said, only, only believers that have trusted in Christ will be judged at this time. No Old Testament saints at this time or saints from the tribulation period at this time. It is for us that are alive now or have died in Christ before the rapture. The purpose of the Bema is an exhaustive examination and evaluation of our lives by Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says the Lord will come. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. So He will re- look at us. He will reveal to us all that we have done for Him and all we did for ourselves. Again, you're in your glorified body at this point. There is no sin nature here. Notice that Paul says each man's praise will come to him from whom? From God. Not from people. You Think about that, Christian. God's going to praise you. Whoa, that's, that's humbling in itself. God is going to praise me? A mere man? Why, why would he do that? The Bible tells us he'll do that. Everything you've done for him, he will praise that work. He will praise it. it, it we should be so motivated... To serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that there's nothing that Christians shouldn't be able to do for Him in this world. And yet we are so spiritually lazy. That passage that I just read to you reveals Paul's emphasis on the judgment seat of Christ. Notice that Paul says each man's praise will come to him from God and God gives rewards to the victors. He does not whip the losers. Just as I said in the very beginning at at the Grecian games when they did those... The person who lost wasn't punished, but the person who was given the crown was rewarded. We're not punished at all. We know that He won't condemn us, as I said earlier, Romans 8.1. Keep it, write it down, memorize that passage, remind that self when you start feeling low. 
Remind yourself of Romans 8.1 that there is no, therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ is to examine Christ's total, uh, excuse me, examine a Christian's total life from the time you came to saving faith. We will be rewarded for the deeds we have done. The overall focus should keep us from worrying over empty, stupid things that we've ever done. Don't leave this place thinking, oh my gosh, I've done this in the past. Put that behind you. Strive to live a life that's for Him, to serve Him. But at the same time, while we won't be condemned for our sins, our present lives do affect what will happen in the judgment seat of Christ. How? Sin and indifference in a life robs us of our present desire for serving the Lord. When you're in sin, you don't want to serve God. I, I, I can tell when, when somebody that in, in, within this body is, is, is not right with God because first they start coming. And then they stop responding to my phone calls or my text or my email. And I don't see them for a while. And then you, and you what's going on? And see, folks, when we're outside of the fellowship of God, one of the reasons we're outside of the fellowship of God is we don't want to be held accountable. Because you know the preacher or some member of the church is going to walk up to you and say, Hey, brother, I've missed you. you everything okay? Or they confront you and say, I haven't seen you in a while, brother. What's, what's going on in your life? Can I, can, I, can I take you out for a cup of coffee? Can we go have lunch? You see, when we're outside the fellowship of God, when we're in sin, we don't have any desire to serve Him. So I would encourage you, that's you this morning, that you confess that sin quickly unto the Lord who is faithful and just to forgive us of that. And see, that's why Paul exhorts us in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be careful how we walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of our time because the days are evil. We live in evil times. No different than they lived in the Greek culture. Matter of fact, I would, I would presume to say to you that we live in more evil times than they did. Evil is that the, uh, there was no child that could grab a phone and look at pornography on their phone. Let's face it, even as a youngster, if I wanted to look at something that was pornographic, I had to wait outside of a convenience store down on Jeff Davis Highway and, and pay somebody to buy the magazine for me if I was underage. You had to go to efforts to do that. Today, men and women can turn the light out, grab their iPhone or iPad or anything else and look at the whole world of evil. It's just opened up. And how many of us have opened it up in our own houses how many of you know what's going on? One of the things I appreciate what Ian has done in his house is my grandchildren are not allowed to have the phones after 9 p.m. They're left, in the, they're left downstairs in, the, in front of their parents. You see, there has kids are kids. Look, I'm going to tell you right now. If I was 16 years old and I had what was in my, what's that, some of your kids' uh Availability now, I, I hate to see how I would have turned out. I'm so thankful for Pastor Brian and this church and the leaders and elders of the church. I'm so thankful that I have a, a youth pastor, a family pastor who love and desires to see our children grow in Christ, to come to saving faith in Christ. That's an example to all. And, 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 and folks, my prayer is, is that we parents and grandparents take seriously the call to protect our children from evil. Yes, they're going to hate you when you leave the sermon today and you say, I'm taking your phone away from you. You don't need to have it. How many of your kids have social media? Uh, like things like TikTok or Facebook. 
At least I didn't say Tic Tac like I did years ago. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's just horrid. Horrid. And so we are called to live a life of holiness. Sin and indifference result in a loss of power in our lives because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Christian, let's not be, let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. And what are these rewards or crowns we're to receive? So let's get to that in the time we have remaining. What, what are these rewards or crowns we receive? Well, Pastor, that's what I've been waiting for. That's why I paid my money. That's why I paid my mission ticket today. I want to hear what I'm going to get when I get there. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And people have been confused, first off, on the term whether it is good or evil. And, and the LSV said bad, right? Good or bad. You may, you may wonder like I did, all, are all the bad things I've ever done, as I said earlier, going to be exposed? You, but you must understand the Greek word here for evil. And you can do your own study here on this word, but the word here. The Greek language mainly uses two words in reference to bad or evil. So there's a, there, and those Greek words speak of moral, ethical decisions and, and bad things that we do as opposed to goodness. Those, these things speak of evil. Those two Greek words that I'm talking about that the Greeks use speak of evil and sin. But neither one of those words in the Greek is used here. The ones that talk about evil and sin. That's not what is written here in the Greek. Just like they have different words for love. They have different words for evil. And so those, again, those speak of moral, ethical, or bad decisions. But the word used here is used to speak of something which is worthless. So this bad here, or evil in some of your translations, means it's worthless. Worthless. It's not a moral word. It's not an ethical word. It is not the idea of evil or sin. It is simply the idea of something that has no lasting value and needs to be thrown out. You prepare dinner. Your husband, your wife, your children cook better. They make a dinner. You eat it. You look in the garbage and there's all this leftover stuff that you didn't use. Why? Because it has no value. It has no value. So you get rid of it. You use what is good. So this is what's going on in here. So... Uh, from the lexicons, the Greek lexicons, you get this as being worthless or valueless. Valueless. And so this judgment then is not to decide whether we've done moral or moral good or moral evil. That's not here at all. There's no, there's no question about it. You're a, again, you are in your glorified bodies with no sin nature. There's, there'd be no purpose to bring up anything that you've done in your past in reference to sin. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, again in verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. It's worth repeating that. 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. And so you are, here we come. There are five crowns mentioned in Scripture. Five crowns. The incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of glory and the crown of life. First, the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. 
then they do it to receive a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible. So here the incorruptible crown is the one for the one, for you and for I, who obeyed the Lord's command and made self-sacrifice and disciplined his life to live for God. You will receive this crown as a believer when you live that self-sacrifice life and you live that disciplined life for Christ. All of us need to be living that life. Every believer should be getting this crown and will get this crown because you obeyed Christ when you came to Him through the Holy Spirit who gave you the faith to believe. And once you believe, and now you're living a life. Now some of you do it better than others. Some of you do it better than others. Some of you do it better than me. But the, the notion here and the idea here is that we need to live a life that is full of self-sacrifice. I do things for others. You know, there are people in this church, we don't pay somebody to come clean this church. We don't. And the reason we don't pay because we have men and women and young people who will come, volunteer their time, and clean toilets. I don't like cleaning a toilet in my house. And yet we have men and women will come in here and young people will clean in this building. And you don't know who they are. They come and they, and they, and they give of their time to do that. They're not doing it for praise from Pastor Mark. They're not doing it for praise from you. They're doing it as a, unto the Lord. But let me tell you something. If you see somebody and you're in this building and you see them working like that and you know they're not staff, tell them thank you. And you're not going to steal their crown from them, Okay. Please get that notion out of your head, too. You can, you can thank somebody for the job they do. You're not stealing their crowns. That's a bunch of hogwash. Hey, what was the last time you thanked the Sunday school teacher of your, of your student? When was the last time you walked up to Pastor Brian and said, thank you for all the work you put in here? Or Pastor Cal. The admin work he does here and that stuff. When was the last time you went to your adult Sunday school teacher and said, you know, I really appreciate the effort that you put into study week after week after week. When was the last time you thanked somebody that you saw cutting grass out here? You see, folks, we take so much for granted and, all, uh, and people serve, and they don't serve to get that reward and praise from you. And so let me say that to those who do serve for that purpose. Be, guard your heart. I always am concerned for the person who comes to me and starts complaining about what they're serving, their, what they're serving because their heart's in the wrong place. Oh, I, I, I'm guilty of that. I've been guilty of that in my past. I, I was that guy, and Jesse and I laugh about this all the time. Jesse can, can convince anybody to do anything. I love him for it. In a good way, and I mean that in a very good way. There's many of you that are in this church because of the influence that Jesse Rolls had in your life. But I'll never forget that time. He got, we had to paint our Sunday school class. He and I were teaching Sunday school class together, and we had to paint, get this room painted at the old church we were at. And I show up that day, and some other people show up. Jesse's telling us, you know, this, this, here's the ladder, here's the paint, here's the roller. 20 minutes into it, no Jesse Roller. He's gone. And someone said, <laughs> Jesse's always gone. But that's not the way God gifted Jesse. I gifted someone. And, and so what was I doing? I was focused on, wait a minute, why ain't he in here doing it? Why am I doing it if he ain't doing it? Folks, that's the wrong attitude. Guess what? I ain't getting no reward for painting that room. Because I did it selfishly with a heart. We need, to, we need to have an attitude as unto the Lord why I do this. When you love your wife as Christ loved the church, you're doing it unto the Lord. 
when you, when you honor your husband and, and you obey your husband as unto the Lord, you submit to him unto the Lord, you're doing it unto the Lord, not for him. Folks, we need to understand that it, it's, it's for him that we do things. The second crown, the crown of righteousness, that's all to all those who love his appearing. And that should be every one of us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight, Paul says. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, not only to me, Christian, put your name in here, but to also to all who have loved His appearing. Glory. Glory. When we think about God coming back, when we think about we're praying for His return as we anticipate the rapture, this is the crown that you will receive, the crown of righteousness. The crown is specially designated for those who long for Jesus appearing and live holy lives in anticipation of His return. It doesn't mean you live a life that is not pleasing to God. Your desire is to see Christ manifested in your life. Do you live your lives as if He could come back today, Christian? And I'm not, I'm not saying we have to live perfect lives, but there needs to be a pattern of holiness in our life. The third crown, the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. This is the soul winner's crown. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? What's Paul saying? What is this rejoicing crown? It's seeing others come to saving faith. Christian, when was the last time that you had the privilege to see God bring somebody to the saving faith because of your witness to them. When was that last time? Don't raise your hands. Have you ever led anybody to Christ? Have you ever been bold enough to open your mouth to other people and share the love of Christ with them? You know, one thing, and I want to share this with you, those who don't know me. The night my father fell, three months before he died, God impressed upon me, and, I, and God did this for me. It was mercy to me because I shared the gospel with my father from the creation of the world to the resurrection of my Savior. 45 minutes. My wife was in, we had an open four-year kind of plan, open plan. I was in the living room. She was in the kitchen. She was praying. It was evening time. Just praying for my dad's salvation as I'm sharing the gospel. He gets up from there. He says, that's good for you, Mark. It's not for me. Walks in the room, falls, breaks his back, never has another cognitive moment. God gave me that peace knowing that I did everything humanly possible to bring my father to saving faith. Can you say that? Can you say that about people in your life today? If they were, God was to snatch them out of your life today, can you say that you shared Christ with them? You may be the only Christian they know. Folks, take this serious, the soul winner's crown. Fourth, the crown of life. That's for the Christian who went through persecution, went through trial, was martyred for the sake of Christ. Oh, I've never been persecuted like this. I have never suffered for the sake of Christ like this. Have I been made fun of? Sure, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who stand there and, and, and fathers and mothers and their children are dragged out in front of them and a gun put to their head and say, do you renounce Christ? And they say no, and they blow the brains out of a child in front of them. You think I'm making that up? That's what's happened in the world. And they shoot every one of them. Folks, this is the crown of life. 
A crown that will be given to those who were beat for the sake of Christ, who were imprisoned for the sake of Christ. And yet we sit here in the luxury of 21st century America with our iPhones and our iPads and our heating and our air conditioning and think we suffer for Christ. Folks, look within yourself and say, could I stand and be martyred for the cause of Christ. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Fifth crown. The crown of glory. It's the shepherd's crown. 1 Peter 5.1-4 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion but willingly according to God, and not for dishonest gain but for with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you receive the unfading crown of glory. This is for the elders. I am... I feel so unworthy. And that you know what drives me is this very passage. You know why that I will make myself available to every one of you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year because I'm commanded to. Do you know why that every shepherd of this church and every, every elder should be on their knees praying to God that they do exactly what they're called to do is because God holds us to a higher standard. Woe be unto me as your shepherd if I am not obedient. Woe be unto me if I'm not an example to you. Woe be to me if I hold grudges in my life or an unforgiving heart in my life or anything in my life that would hinder your walk with Christ. Woe be to me as a shepherd of Christ when he tells me that I have given you, Mark Wells, a shepherd's crown. I am not worthy. Christian, What do we do with these crowns that we may not feel worthy of getting? Let me read to you what Dr. Bookman writes about this. He is the seminary professor at uh, Shepherds that, that our brother Zach is going to in seminary right now. He writes this, the popular quote, the popular misconception of heaven is a place of uninterrupted indulgence and slumber and that contributes to the frustration which arises from the perceived selfishness of any sort of reward program. If the eternal life promised to the believer is only a place to parade his medals, it is hard to conceive of any selfless reason for desiring or striving after these medals. But in fact, the life to come is a busy, productive kingdom. This is the new heaven and the new earth, ruled over personally by the Messiah, Jesus. Faithfulness in this life will produce maturity and selflessness and thus qualify a person for greater responsibility in the life to come. Once sin is removed, root and branch from the human experience, there will be no jealousy or resentment, but there will be various capacities to serve and thus honor the king. A true heart of love for the king will cause his subjects to long for and strive toward the greatest measure of such a capacity that he might possibly possess. Thus the longing to be unashamed at the coming of the king, to receive bountifully from his head, from his hand at the Bema Seat, may be regarded as entirely noble and ultimately selfless, unquote. You see, when you get those awards, those rewards that God will give you, you're not putting them in that mansion that God gives you. You know those houses? He goes, I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you in my father's house. There are many rooms. And so in that new Jerusalem, you don't have a trophy case. 
When you walk in, you don't hang up all your trophies, all these wreaths that God gives you, all these crowns that He gives you. You're going to be just like the 24 elders. You know what you're going to do with them? It's all about Jesus. It's always been all about Jesus. We will lay those crowns that you were given back at His feet and you will worship the one who gave you the ability to have those crowns in the first place. It's all about Him. Christian, let us live lives. Let us live lives that are holy and pleasing to Him. Let, us, let our focus be, you know, there will be, there'll be two teams on that field today. And every one of them is out there with the expectation that they're going to win. One team's going to lose. One team's going to walk away, be claimed Super Bowl champions. The other team is going to walk away losers. The thing about us as Christians, we will never walk away as losers. God will take us home and we will be with Him. Do you have your priorities right today? Do you? Let me close with this as we hear the rain coming down. John MacArthur found the following poem written in his grandfather's Bible. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and He shows me His plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been, and I see how I blocked Him here and checked Him there and wouldn't yield my will. Will there be grief in my Savior's eyes, grief through He loves me still? Then my desolate heart will will well nigh break with tears I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands. I'll bow my uncrowned head. O Lord, the years that are left to me, I give them to Thy hand. Take me, break me, mold me for the pattern that Thou hast planned. That is my prayer today for myself and I pray it is yours as well. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Christian, I look forward to the day that I stand with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ before the Bema Seat. I look forward to the day that we rejoice with our brothers and sisters as we receive the crowns that we have done for Him. But in the meantime, let us run the race. Let us get off the the couches and the luxuries of our lives and let us be willing to serve. Be willing to die for Christ. That's exactly what Luke 9.23 says. May that be in your life as well as mine. In just a moment, I will stand before you, His people, and some who are not His. But I pray this very hour that someone has come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That God has turned a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. The Bible says all you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe that He was raised from the dead and sits at the right hand. And He is your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says you're saved. And now, you're a new creation in Christ. All things that were old have been done away with and regarding the sinful flesh. Oh, you will still struggle in this life. I'm not here to tell you that the life becomes easy. On the contrary, I tell you it becomes difficult. Because now you don't live for self anymore, you live for God. I pray that that, that is your desire this day. And you come and you grab the preacher by the hand. Some of you have never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. I pray that you do that this very hour. Not that we will baptize you this hour, but you come and you confess that I believed in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, but I've never followed my Lord in believer's baptism. doesn't save us. It's the first act of obedience. We had somebody return to the flock here on this Sunday morning at the 8 o'clock hour. Family that had moved away has now come back and joined the church. 
God has called you to be members of this church, I pray. God doesn't call us to be outside the body of Christ. He calls you to submit to elders. And I pray that that's your desire as well. Ever have the Lord leading, you come as the Lord leads. Father, may your will be done here this hour. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You come as the Lord leads.